0: Hello, and welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Cheryl's Jocelyn, your host for the show. I'd like to welcome all my new listeners. I feel like I just posted this story about Tina's accident, and a lot of new people found out about the podcast. I have a lot of new, new listens, and it feels incredible. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. And I really appreciate all of the emails and comments that I have gotten so far. Sometimes these conversations are not easy, but I feel like we need to get the message out there so that when we're out in the canyons, we're all thinking more safely so that we can avoid some of these accidents. The search and rescue are way too busy and they all volunteer their time. So let's just try to be a little bit more safe out there. If you would like to reach out to me via email, you can do that at thecanyonsarecalling at gmail.com. I read all of my emails. I don't always have time to respond, which I want to get better at. So if I have not responded, I apologize. But do know I read and appreciate every email that does come in. Also, if you want to join us on our Facebook group page, it's thecanyonsarecalling on Facebook. And also, canyonsarecalling on Instagram. I'm not as active on there, but I'm trying to be more so... (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I'll have links to both of those in the show notes, as well as the email and my website, where I have links to Canyon Resources on there. I also have um, the Canyon Snack page, and the stickers, pub glasses, and the new Dog Tug Toys. I thought that it would be very appropriate to follow up the accident story with some training advice, so I have on with us today... Andrew Humphries who is a founder of V7 Academy. V7 Academy is an online resource where you can learn a lot about canyoning in general. They have two different course levels. You have the first course level which is free and he has tons and tons of information on dry and wet canyons, just the sport in general, ethics, anchor setup, so many things. And then level two is a paid course and they offer just way more in-depth knowledge for people that are really getting into the sport and want to, you know, take it to the next level. And I encourage everybody just to get, get more training. You can never have too much training. So this online resource as well as in, in-person instruction and going out with great mentors is, you know, my advice that's always going to encourage more training. So I have a link for V7 Academy on the show notes here. And if you use that link, I'm going to get just a little bit of a kickback as an affiliate for V7. So I would appreciate it if you would use the link provided in the show notes or on my website. Also, no, also let's just get into the interview with Andrew. (laughs)
1: So today we are here with Andrew Humphreys, and he's going to talk a little bit about just classic Canyoning in general and about VC V7 Academy. <laughs> um, Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us how you got into the outdoors?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Charles. Uh, first off, just want to say thank you for creating this podcast. It's awesome. It's a great way to connect the community together as a whole, and I think it's something we've needed for a long time and I'm glad you pulled the trigger on it and you're still going with it so congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah my name is Andrew um, uh I've been canoning for a long time now uh, so strangely my first interaction with uh, with canyoning is I, I used to work at a summer camp when I was like 20 years old and uh, I had this roommate that was Australian, and I was—we were chatting about what we like to do, and he—he he told me that he did this thing called canyoning, and he he described it to me, and he's like, "Oh, we, yeah, we go and we like slide down waterfalls, and we jump and do stuff." And I remember thinking to myself, it, "That sounds horrible. It doesn't sound like anything I would ever want to do." <laughs> 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 and then like, and then yeah, like three years later, I, I started working in it, and then it became sort of my life's passion. So. Little bit of irony um, there. But uh, yeah, so I I, I got my start actually in New Zealand. I'd moved down to New Zealand um, doing a working holiday visa. I came from a a whitewater rafting background and a rock climbing background. And I was looking for a job down there. And um, there was a canyoning guy position that was there. And uh, I was lucky enough, the guy hired me. And and that's really how I got my start. So I, I mean, I basically jumped right into the professional side of things and was hooked. I mean, my first canyon experience ever was, it was like negative one and uh, negative one Celsius. So yeah, just about 30 degrees. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm shivering all the way through it. And it was, you know, it, it, it physically it was awful, but mentally, it was like, amazing. Um, and after that, I was immediately hooked. So, so yeah, that that launched me into my professional career. And I, I continued to be a professional canyon guide for like 12 years, um, working all over the world. Worked in New Zealand, Japan, Switzerland, Indonesia, and then uh, eventually back in the U.S. So that's how I got my start.
1: a lot of internationals, though.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, how, did
1: the, how did the international canyoning differ from American canyoning?
2: Uh, it differs a, a lot. I, you know, I actually, I spent eight years um, traveling um, constantly internationally. Uh, basically just Canyon guiding year round. So jumping from the Southern hemisphere to the Northern hemisphere, summers, chasing summers. And uh, eventually, I, you know, I came back to the U.S. to start my own company and uh, probably the best reference I can think of is, is I was a fish out of water because I went straight and tried dry canyons. And I was like, this is wildly different than everything that I've been doing for the last eight years. Um, so. So, yeah, there was a bit of a, a culture shock there in a way. And um, luckily, I had a lot of great uh, people to show me around the US canyons. Ira Lewis was was a huge influence there and, and kind of showed me the ropes and, and some of the dry desert stuff. Um, but I opened my company in, in Urey, Colorado. So uh, I got that water uh, canyoning fix, you know?
1: Right. And that was canyoning Colorado, right?
2: Yeah, that was Kaden, Colorado. So ran that for five years. And um, uh, I recently sold it to my good friend, Kaden Anderson. And Kaden's running. He's a rock star. Uh, definitely if anybody's listening to this, go see Kaden because he knows what he's doing out there.
1: Very nice. I can't wait to get back to you, Ray. It's been a couple of years.
2: It's a great place. I still have a house there. So I have a reason to go back, which is great.
1: Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So now on to Seattle and V7 Academy. How did that come about?
2: Um, Well, after I sold the company, uh, I randomly moved to Seattle. I didn't think this is where I was going to end up. But it's been great because I taught some canyon courses up here for the Mountaineers um, for a number of years. And so when I moved to Seattle, it was great because I already had a community to kind of fall right into, um, which has been awesome. and uh, you know I can't say enough of things about uh, good things about Seattle Canyons. If you if you guys haven't come up here to the Pacific Northwest, you you need to come up here because the canyons are um, amazing, definitely on the scale of European quality. So uh, absolutely come here. Uh, yeah. So um, V Seven Academy, how that kind of got started? Uh, it's it's a bit of a long story. How we got there. Um, I, as I said before, I, I worked as a professional guide for a number of years, and there was a lot of things that happened um, in that span. So um, one of them was, um, I used to work for an organization called IcoPro, um, I was a head training master for them for for quite a while, I kind of worked up my, through the ranks there to eventually get to the, sort of the top level, um, left that. Um, then uh, I'd also led an expedition to Taiwan, so an international expedition, so, so I kind of gathered some more knowledge and, and experience there. Um, and, and I worked with all these wonderful people from all over the world um, and, and learned from a lot of different uh, Canyon backgrounds. From you know, So, I mean, obviously we have the US style of canyoning, but, uh, but the Europeans, uh, almost every country in Europe does it in sort of a slightly different way. And I've learned from all of them, um, as well as the, you know, the Kiwis. So, um, so after you know this years of collective experience, um, one of the things that sort of appeared to me is that you know there's no really like right or correct way to do canyoning. All it's it's kind of deeply personal what we do, and and everybody you know needs to learn in their own way and and um, and, and take from a variety of skills and um, and knowledge,s and abilities from everybody and sort of you know. Um, be the best sort of canyoner they can be according to you know the types of canyons that they go into and so you know taking this sort of idea that that you know canyoning is is personal and that it doesn't need to be some of this like giant certification organization thing um v7 was sort of born so v7 academy our our entire goal is to just make people better canyoners. Um, so we're putting the knowledge out there um, for people to use and one way to think of V7 Academy is it's basically, it's basically like an online manual. It's just like going to the store and buying a, a book. The difference is, is that uh, our resource um, has text, but it also has lots of videos in it. So people can watch um, the techniques being performed. Uh, most of the videos are formed, filmed in the canyon so they can see it with, with context of where, why you might use this technique in which situation. And, and we wanted to create it in this online platform so that we can update it because that's the other thing with books is they quickly um, update themselves. Um, and even with our platform, we find that, you know, we're like, oh man, we need to get in there and change that because that's, that's changed since the last three years. But, um, but we really want to focus on, on competency-based learning and letting people learn at their own pace and, and you know, choose what they want to learn and without time constraints, without pass fail exams and, and really just try to stress this idea of mastery, um, personal mastery. And we we consider the personal process, can even be a a personal and a a persistent process um, to become a master of something.
1: Nice. I just barely signed up for the first course. (laughs) I'm excited about that. I feel like, I mean, even though I've been doing this for years, I feel like there's always a lot that you can learn. So well that's great! You should never stop learning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can You absolutely should never stop learning. I never stopped learning. Like, still, still going. Doesn't matter. You know. You know how long you've been in the, in the world of canning. There's, there's always something new or some little tidbits um, to make you a little bit more efficient. Um, and to have a little bit more fun, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, yeah, glad you signed up for the level one course. Um, so, uh, <laughs> our level one course um, is is our free course. Um, so. Yeah. Um, it's a. It's, it's actually, it was a massive project. Um, there's 13 sections in it. There's something like tw- 25 chapters, 26 chapters in there. And there's like 37 videos in it. Um, and that's just totally free. Um, and, and the purpose of that um, course is just to share knowledge, right? And and one of the things that I kept running into as I would take like newbies out, um, you know, for their first candidate experience is that they just, it just didn't have any background right like they were calling me all the time being like okay you know what do i need to bring like what kind of shoes do i need what kind of outfit do i need like um, should i buy all this gear um is it going to be anything like rock climbing and all this stuff um, and so so part of level one was was built to be sort of an aid to those people that are that are taking people out on a regular basis to be like hey go check out this course um that's online you know go it's totally free you know go learn everything you need to know going to cover all the basics you know how to set up your descender you know what what sorts of equipment you're going to need and um yeah then that could help support you know your team um as well you know afterwards where somebody's like oh i really like that where can i learn a little bit more another place to to point them so it's supposed to be a resource
1: yeah That's a a really good one from what I, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time on there, but from what I've seen. And then I also see your posts a lot of just like the anchor blocking and things like that (laughs) on your page, which I I find them very educational because sometimes you get out in canyons and you do the same thing that you do all of the time, not realizing that maybe it's a little bit off or, um, I had a friend in Capitol reef one time did the contingency block with the figure eight two people went down Um, the second person that went down it kind of slipped a little bit. So they said, Hey, will you check that block out? And I looked at it and I still, to this day, wish I would have taken a picture before I touched it because I can't remember what was wrong, but it was totally lopsided and you know, not correct, and this is why we always check other people's work, right? Right. Um, but they were ahead of us a little bit and went down, and it was just like, wow! Like, luckily, nothing tragic happened. Right. But, but yeah yeah, um, you just kind of get in in your way and do it kind of <laughs> autopilot, and then maybe it's not correct. So, um, yeah. So
2: it's so easy to do. I mean, and there's, I mean, there's, there's lots of. So there's not there's not necessarily like wrong techniques. There's there's techniques that have a lot of advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, there's like things you can do like, you know, not tying something correct at all. Um, but like a lot of techniques uh, will work just fine for for a while until you put them into a certain scenario, and then suddenly they don't work in, in the way that you expected them to. Um,
1: yeah, no. and you mentioned earlier that the dry canyons were totally different than the wet canyons. Um, Tom and I actually had that very conversation today. About it's a completely different sport. It, so, and people are like, "Why call, call it canyoning?" And other people call it canyoneering. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> "Those are totally different." Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit?
2: Uh, the difference between canyoning and canyoneering, or yeah. the difference between uh, wet canyons and dry canyons.
1: Yeah, the classic uh, canyons and the dry canyons
2: yeah um gosh there is there's so many differences i I really feel like the you know the primary difference with when I got on the dry canyons the thing that stuck out to me uh, is that the way that dry canyoners challenge themselves is through through down climbing and, and and the most of the sport where I went was like it was all about like how what's the dodgiest thing you could down climb you know, like how how competent are you at downclimbing? And, and you know, and there's all these, these team pieces of being able to help people down climb And it's like uh, that just really took me back because that's not something we do in wet canyons because wet canyons are are generally really slippery or there's water pounding on you, and it just doesn't work to downclimb in the same way. I mean, we still downclimb stuff in wet canyons. It's just it's, it's not like a it's like a different focus in a way. Um, and I, I, find that every time I go with a dry canyoner and a wet canyoner, they're like, we should down climb this. I'm like, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I would say with the, you know, with the wet style canyons is, um, uh, or the aquatic canyons is another way to call it, it's, it's, there is definitely, there is a focus on the rope work. I mean, even a small strop can be, you know. Quite dangerous to to down climb or and so you may need rope to get down something that's only like ten foot high, right? Um, so there's a lot of stress on that, and, and then the water reading. I mean, the water reading is is it can be really challenging, um, especially as you get in the bigger canyons. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, there is a lot of whitewater canyons, which I'm having a ball in. It's fantastic, but uh, whitewater is 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 a skill set that um, Kind of brings a whole, it brings a whole new set of risks, right? Um, suddenly, the, the, rather than like uh, somebody getting stuck on a rappel in like a dry situation where you have time to think about it and figure it out, like somebody getting stuck on a rappel in a in a wet canyon and in the middle of a waterfall, I mean, they've got like seconds um, to survive, and so you, everything everything shifts in terms of risk management, and all your techniques shift, and all of your approaches shift, and, and you really focus on just managing this water risk all the time. And and the only way to get better at whitewater is really just to spend more time in it, and and that's that's probably the hardest part. Um, if you want to transition from the from the dry canyon side to the wet canyon side, is is just to get the mileage that comes with um, being in a whitewater canyon, um, with that with the water hazards and what to deal with them, and and how to deal with them. And I would say you know the same thing happens with um, with the dry canyons is the whitewater people come over and the and you know everything's about. A lot of down climbing and moving through and which carries its own set of risks and and understanding what your personal limits are with that with that down climbing um that's a that's a huge difference the other things that really stick out is just the rigging Um, because we're approaching the risk in a different way uh so you know with a with a dry rappel we can you know we can sort of put our rope where we want because we're there's no risk there's no hazard of maybe of of drowning probably the biggest risk you could have is potentially your rope getting cut but in in most dry canyons there's sandstone the rocks softer than the rope is in a way um so so you you know you can turn this focus towards like oh let's let's build everything in natural anchors you know let's let's you know pick we don't have to like necessarily pick one specific spot for anchor we can put it in you know, where, where we can build this natural anchor, whereas when we get into a whitewater situation, you have to, that rope needs to be in like one specific spot to get down it. Otherwise, you know, you might be putting yourself in the middle of a blasting waterfall. It's going to flip you upside down. Um, And so the whole, the whole shift uh, changes, right? You're trying to manage this risk in a different way. So it's really, really interesting to take the two and put them side by side. And I definitely agree with you guys. It is like almost two different sports when you put them next to each other.
1: Yeah, but. I remember the first time we were going to go to Uray, we went to this little canyon here called Benson Creek.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: I mean, it it flows, but I wouldn't really say that it's a classy canyon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like an inch of water flowing down this little creek. Yeah, yeah, And so we thought, like, this will be great practice for Uray. And then we got to Uray. And the first year we went, it was such a low water year. Yeah. But we still had no, we were just like, Wow. What was the the most challenging
2: canyon for you in in your age?
1: Um, for me, was probably Oak because we tried to do upper, middle, and lower, but I have such a hard time with altitude. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell my team like, I'll wait for you at middle. I'm not going to do the (laughs) other. Yeah, the rest of the team did.
2: (laughs) Um, That's incredible. Kudos to that team because that is a big, big day.
1: Yeah, they're hardcore. And I knew I was slowing them down so much because my head was just pounding and I was not doing well. Yeah, um, and I had a great time just sitting in Middle Oak looking for <laughs> gold and bears, but I didn't see any. <laughs> um, but yeah, that 170 foot waterfall was really, really awesome. And then just getting pounded like halfway down the next right. year, my friends did Upper Uncompagre in super high flow. Mm-hmm. And my friend Becky got flipped with the water, like the water fall just pounded her and she flipped over a minute and like totally disappeared. And then like, she was fine. She just like came up out of it. But she was like, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wanted to do that one. I went with Tom and he looked at the flow and he was like, we're going to go do lower oak. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, yeah,
2: Upper, yeah. I got, it's got some water flowing through it. It's a good one. It's a good, yeah. good one.
1: It looks um, like a yeah, really I mean, Bear was probably my favorite.
2: <laughs> you great. definitely never forget the first time that you flip upside down on a waterfall and how helpless that is. It's like, oh my gosh, like yeah. what just happened? <laughs>
1: yeah, probably happens to see you quite often. You're master at it.
2: I, you know, I do everything I can to not flip upside down. I don't want to flip upside down on a waterfall. It's horrible.
1: Um, yeah, it's <laughs> super scary. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So how, what types of um, things do you suggest to avoid that aside from just like not repelling right in the water directly wait
2: well, yeah yeah I, I always start with when we approach risk we always start with eliminate first eliminate that risk completely if you can and so I mean if you can repel out of the flow you know in a strong flow I mean there's there's a you know there's there's a spectrum of what flow you can repellent. and um, when you can repel in the flow, it's great. Like it's fantastic. Absolutely, you should definitely get right into it. But then there becomes a threshold where it can like where it becomes quite dangerous, and it can flip you upside down. And and at that point, you want to try to eliminate if you can, just get out of the line. Um, but if if you can't do that, um, probably the most common mistake I see is people wearing heavy backpacks and trying to repel to the flow. Um, so I mean, if you If you put on a, you know, a a lot of Americans carry these really, really big backpacks. That's the first thing I want to say is um, everybody likes to carry like a whole bunch of kit. And this is something
1: you need a lot of snacks.
2: I I guess so. This is something (laughs) Europeans don't do. Like Europeans walk up and like their speedos and like barely have anything on them, you know. And, um, uh, And Americans always have these like massive like 45, 50 liter packs. But those packs, I mean, if you get in the waterfall, like it makes you top heavy. Um, It makes you really top heavy and so your your pivot point, um, you know, suddenly changes and and if you ever want to know if your backpack's too heavy, just hang in free air with a heavy backpack on you and see how much you exert squeezing your abdomen together and see if you can even keep yourself upright and if uh, and if the answer is no, it's too heavy to be wearing on your pack for being in the waterfall. So um taking that pack off, uh, I always try to throw my pack when I can. Um, I don't put a lot of things in my pack that uh, are breakable because I, I will happily throw my pack off a hundred and fifty foot waterfall, whatever. Um, yeah, but uh, if you have to carry it, carry it below you. you know carry it off your harness, keep that um, that pivot point low, and it'll actually help you keep upright through all that stuff so.
1: Have you found extending your repel device away from your harness helps at all in that situation or no?
2: I I mean <laughs> I, I hear this a lot, but I mean where the pivot point's still in the same place. It's yeah. still attached to your harness. So I mean, yeah, you can grab something to kind of like help you uh, you can you're grabbing your your repel strand a little bit higher and yeah, that kind of helps you from rocking back as easy. You know, if you keep your hands down low, you know, you don't those hands don't really help you. So saying the device is not a bad idea but it's not in, in general like nobody actually needs to do that just just put your pack down below you and um you'll be fine
1: yeah there's been times like i get there and i'm like oh, it's so weird to hang my pack i don't want to do it and then once i'm on rappel hanging my pack it feels so much more comfortable right so this is once you get over that initial like this is different it's gonna be weird <laughs> It definitely helps on the long, like, Engelstead rappel.
2: Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, I've definitely, I've been caught out. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I've been on, like, big rappels with my backpack on and been like, oh, I made a mistake. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I need to get this off.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Uh So we didn't really touch much about the second course in V7. We skipped over that. I want to backtrack a little bit. What's in the second course? What can people that's None. totally
2: fine yeah so i mean we have this free level one course and then after that it becomes paid course because uh, as you know from creating content um it's it's a lot a of lot
1: work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work to make this stuff happen um so yeah level two is our is our paid course um we call it, we call it a beginner level but uh, honestly if you compared it next to most curriculums it would be intermediate um, um, level we just that's where we happen to put it on our spectrum. But in there, um, there's, there's about 15 sections um, somewhere. There's about there's 76 chapters within those sections. Um, there's 65 videos. Um, there's, there is a lot of content. Um, we'd say looking at the average time that people spend on the platform for level two, on average, most people are on there about 11 hours um, studying and re-watching videos. Um, again, the real benefit of this online platform is that you can go back. So if, if you've ever taken like a formal course, um, which you probably have, uh, you get done with the course and you're like, "This is great! I like have all this knowledge." And then like, you know, a month goes past and you're like, "What was that all that knowledge again?" Like, I know he showed me this really cool trick. I'm like, what was that trick again? Like, I really can't remember that. Um, and, and that's really the point of this online uh, course is, is that you can go back and you can look at it. You know, you can watch it as many times as you want. Um, to To try to hone in that skill and figure it out. Um, so yeah, the level two course um, is the next level up, and that one, the design behind that is somebody that's going to go out and maybe like lead um, sort of easy canyons. And it is it is certainly we don't say we don't really say class C um, a V seven, but yeah, it's certainly class C focused. It's um, there's a lot of water um, content in there, and um, we do we do cover dry canyon stuff um, as well. But um, certainly, most of our techniques are more suited for Class C style canyons. Okay. Now, that course um, that course is a paid course. It's $250. Um, and the, the course itself, uh, like I said, we, we like to use it as, as more like a, a manual, like an online resource. And, and we have a lot of uh, organizations that do that. So the Mountaineers, who I mentioned before, their are big organization here up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they have a canning level uh, two course, like a like a beginner intermediate course, um, and they're using level two in their their uh, their actual course. So they they teach this course all in person, and and then they also use V seven as sort of just like a support reference um, for everything in there. And that's really the way it's designed to be used. You know, it's not really designed to be like just standalone. Um, it can be used as a standalone, but really, it should be used in support with real practice, and that's what we're seeing with, with the Mountaineers. Um, we also have the UK Canadian Association, they're also using it in the same way. Um, and, and we're hopeful that, you know, other organizations around the world will pick up on this um, and, and use it as support materials for their own students.
1: Very awesome. um do you have anything else planned in the future a third course for more intermediate stuff
2: um we definitely have a third course plans um we are there's five of us that that work together to do this and um, we're all over the world um so we've got we've got ben and george there in the uk uh, we have panel in switzerland we have gus that's down in brazil so um, we're, we're spread apart um quite a bit and and really the the crux for the level three courses getting this all together in the same place so that we can we can film again um, but we've already uh, written sort of our curriculum and what we want to cover um, for level three but yeah we all got to get together film this we can usually actually film it all in about two weeks but then it takes us like six months to a year to edit everything um, to get it up because it's just so much content to cover
1: i can imagine <laughs> that's exciting very cool so how did all the five of you meet and come together
2: um so really most of us all at one time worked together in some way or another um so the majority of us actually met working in new zealand we I mean, we worked for quite a big company in new zealand and uh, i think there was a time where we were all there together at the same time um, but that that's really how we connected really early on in our professional career and then we we all grew in in a sort of similar path with following different training courses and, and you know, doing a lot of exploration. And, and, but we've always stayed very close um, throughout those years. And, and we all have sort of shared the same vision of trying to make training available to everyone. Uh, I find that we find that certifications and, and courses can be highly political in a way <laughs> around the world. Everybody like has their tribes that they stay together with um and and that's something that we always uh, butted up against and it's part of what inspired us um for d7 but uh but yeah we go way back we've done we've done a lot of exploration stuff together um gus gus and i especially we've um, done some trips we did the taiwan expedition um, where when at the time was the longest canyon in the world Um, it's not anymore um our our Team members went back and, and broke that record. 14 days is now the longest canyon in the world. Which is did you pretty... go with
1: Jasmine on the other one?
2: Yeah, yeah, I did go with Jasmine on the one. Have you had a chance to speak with her yet?
1: I did. I'm waiting to get some information back from her, but I might just post it without, okay. without yeah. a little intro about her. Um, but yeah, the Caycan Canyon sounded amazing.
2: Yeah, Chaka? Jasmine jasmine's a badass she really is (laughs) uh yes jasmine um she was really our main liaison there at taiwan and she uh she helped organize all those uh, logistics that's that's what she is amazing at she knows her logistics in taiwan so if you're trying to open big canyons there that is the person you want to get in touch with because she can make it happen
1: how long of an expedition did you guys go on
2: um, so we did it in two parts. Um, the first part of our expedition was really just kind of scouting a little bit and doing our first, you know, few multi days. So we did like a we did a three day um, canyon there, and then we did another like two day um, canyon our first go around, and then the second time was where we were trying to go for the big one. And and originally we we wanted to do that that 14 day canyon, but the conditions just weren't right, so we had to settle for for. Um, the Malachan, which was, came out at eight days total, um, which was quite a, uh, quite an experience. There is a film about it um, called the Malachan. You can watch Hmm. us struggle through that um, canyon um, as a team. Uh, What was interesting about the Taiwan Canyon Expedition is the the real goal of the whole expedition was to show international cooperation. So our our team was from all over the place uh, and we all yeah all came from different countries and uh, different languages and came together to try to tackle this beast of a canyon which was which was a lot of fun
1: the language issue sounds like a barrier all in its own
2: (laughs) it can (laughs) be for sure it can be um yeah and uh, we managed to get through it
1: (laughs) that's really cool how many languages do you speak
2: me? Oh, none. I'm, I'm American. I only Speaking. Um, <laughs> I uh, I usually learn only enough phrases to get by. Um, so when I was working in Japan, I could really just tell people where to go in the canyon. You know, go over there, sit down here, put the rope in there. Um, and then same thing when I was working in Switzerland. Um, a lot of times i try to speak French because um, that was the best I could do. But almost everybody, almost everybody in Europe can speak English, so it was all right in that way.
1: That's nice. <laughs> I'd like try to learn Spanish or German, but I'm a lazy American. I <laughs>
2: know. Uh, well, the problem is you start speaking to somebody and if they speak English, they're like, let's just speak English. It's so much easier.
1: <laughs> exactly. <But>. For sure. <laughs> well, cool. Anything else you want to cover about V7?
2: Um,
1: I do have one more question.
2: No. Yeah, go ahead.
1: What does V7 mean?
2: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, so there's there's V7. What does V7 actually mean? There is two predominant grading systems in the world. Um, one is called for lack of a better term, we often call it the French grading system, but really it was a it was a European grading system that the Spanish were involved as well um, with creating this grading system. But um, and then the second um, system that's most popular is the American system, the ACA system, um, and it's only the second popular because there's just so many Americans that are doing um, canyons, um, and that's where the Class C designation comes from, is from that from that ACA system. Um, the seven um, comes from that European grading system. So in the European grading system, a canyons rated on three parts. Um, the first part is its its vertical characteristic. The second part is its aquatic characteristic. And the last part is its commitment or exposure. Um, so there's some parallels there if you think about the American system as well. Um, but the vertical and the aquatic um, uh, gradings they go from one to seven. One being the easiest and seven being the, um, the highest, and the hardest. So V seven is considered uh, sort of like the hardest vertical, um, vertical. characteristic okay. a canyon can have. And it, you can do the same thing with A, A one to A seven. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. That's where the name comes from. That's okay. what it ties into and, and sort of um, shows our European roots um, in terms of how our, our techniques are designed.
1: That's nice. I like That's cool. <laughs> Sweet. So what are your favorite places to go canyoning?
2: My favorite places to go canyoning. That's a good question. Um, I've done some i've done some cool canyons out there uh, i'm most attracted to exploration i like to go find canyons and um and open them up and that's why i like hanging out with tiffany and jake and ryan and all them um okay. especially up here um pacific northwest so some of my favorite places uh new zealand i happen to hit new zealand pretty much at its heyday when everybody was opening canyons um, opened, open quite a few canyons there new zealand's great because there's nothing that can hurt you um, there's no there's no poisonous animals or, or dangerous yeah <laughs> dangerous animals. You really just like trek off into the woods and, and have a good time.
1: Um, That's what I they, hear. The, best, the difference between Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. Like, like how are, they,
2: are, are they so close to each other? <laughs> how did this happen? Yeah. No. New Zealand. New Zealand definitely got got the good deal there, right? Uh, nice. And <laughs> New Zealand canyons are beautiful. They are like they they are really steep. Um, they're really narrow most of the time. They've got like deep pools so you can jump and slide down stuff a lot of the pool and the water quality is amazing you can just drink straight from the stream like i didn't carry a water bottle for the basically the entire time that i canyoned in new zealand because you could just drink out of the creek as you went down um yeah it's amazing but like yeah the, the pools are like a deep blue the rocks like this kind of dark gray and then and then a lot of new zealand rainforest so you got this like you know green canopy of rainforest hanging over you so Really, just incredible canyons uh, overall. The second place on um, Taiwan, uh, Taiwan is amazing. It's just a super untapped resource. I mean, obviously those people over there are there opening up lots of canyons, but they've got they've got it goes from sea level to like ten thousand feet. that's how their that's how their mountains go. I mean, it's just like massive mountains and and they have all sorts of different types of rock. We did a canyon there that was all marble um, so yeah and it was like it was white marble uh, downstream they had a quarry where they where they like pulled out big blocks to make statues um but incredible going down like the marble is insane um, so taiwan is, is definitely a favorite uh, and of course now i'm loving the pacific northwest i really like going up to canada i'm not gonna lie western canada has got like some epic canyons they've got some really good stuff going on up there um, and lots of potential for more exploration.
1: That sounds exciting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, if you haven't been to Squamish, you should go to Squamish. Go hit the two, the two classics there. But there's a whole bunch of other ones um, that that are
1: well worth the visit. Yeah, we're gonna. We have to get up there in July. <laughs> I have to put it on the calendar now. Absolutely. <laughs> just, sounds incredible. Um, well, canyoneering makes me really, really hungry. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Everyone else, it has to, right? <laughs> what is your favorite in canyon snack?
2: Um, favorite in canyon snack. Gosh, I, I feel like I might be boring in this regard. Um, for in canyon <laughs> snack, I find that I'm so busy in a canyon that I forget to eat a lot. Um, and that's where it's been great to canyon with with Tiffany because um, Tiffany mm. uh, likes to feed you as you go down the canyon. Um, so it's been. It's been good for me to move up here to the Pacific Northwest.
1: Yeah, her cakes uh, and cookies look amazing.
2: Our cakes and cookies are as good as they look. Um, if you don't follow her Instagram, um, her special dedicated ones who are baking, you should because it's, oh, wow. She's very, very talented. Um, but yeah, going down the canyon, I like, I'm a little bit pragmatic in a way. And like, it's like, give me something fast that I can just shove in my mouth and go. Um, it makes me think uh, I, did, I did illusions um in april with ira uh, ira lewis and, and uh man it was cold it was really really cold and like dangerously cold and we got we got into the into the deep dark slotted section and it was immediately appear- apparent that we did not have enough clothing on like we, we weren't going to be able to we couldn't stay there long so we were going like as fast as we can and there was this moment in the canyon where I was where I was rigging and, and my wife was next to me and she was just like shoveling food into my mouth. Uh,
1: like, <laughs> I know you need some energy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, yeah, everybody was shaking, but we couldn't stop. And it was like, we need to eat. And it's like late in the day and she's just like shoveling food in my mouth. And thank God it, was, it actually turned out to be the last drop. Um, but <laughs> we, were, we were about to have an epic in there. Um, that's for sure.
1: Oh, sounds miserable. <laughs> that sounds miserable for sure. <laughs> I need to do illusions.
2: Yeah, um, yeah done that one. that's a good one. Yeah.
1: No. I mean, Sedona's like four hours away or something. I don't know. Oh, gosh. That's ridiculous. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> how about After Canyon? What's your favorite After Canyon beverage?
2: After Canyon, I'm definitely going to go for a beer um, straight away. I mean, 100%. Got to go either burger or pizza and a beer um, right away. I mean, that's the celebration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the celebration. When, in Taiwan, they, they have an expression there that's, um, they say that the, the cane is not over until you are sitting in your first 7-Eleven. So you have to... <laughs> right <laughs> oh it, it's it's, it's the, the adventure isn't done until you're inside the 7-eleven so right. uh, which is which is a good philosophy to live by
1: yeah that first after getting beer, like so <laughs> i'm <laughs> very interested
2: in your um in your in your beer glass i'm going to buy one of those um really soon <laughs> cool.
1: yeah um what essential piece of gear do you always carry with you
2: i i you know the the thing that I probably love most of my harness is my basic. I love my pet, Petzl basic. I use that for just about everything. Um, it it's such an underrated piece of equipment. Uh, you should you should always have that in it on the end of your lanyard, uh, just ready to go. I, I use it for adjusting to get out to the edge. You know, obviously you could use it for ascending. Um, use it just to hold on to things. Uh, just I use it all the time. Um, allows me to move all over the place, and uh, something that we don't always think about as canyoneers is is going up, um, and that should be more of a focus for us. We should be thinking about going up more.
1: Yeah, I agree. We practice going up, but then hope to never have to do it in a canyon. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> you definitely hope not to do it. I, I've gotten <laughs> myself into situations where I've had to go up quite a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's been a few times like, well, I'm really good at um leaving the beater on the anchor.
2: Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So as the last person down, (laughs) so then I get down and I'm like, first person with their ascenders out gets to climb the rope. (laughs) Sometimes people love to do that. Sometimes they make me do it. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I I've done. I've made that same mistake. I've done it while guiding. Yeah, and I. I uh, left it at the top of a 40 meter waterfall. So like 120 feet and still yeah. clipped in. was like, Oh, all right guys, just <laughs> give me 20 minutes and I'll be right
1: back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what you don't do. I just wanted to show you. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. One Plenty. time we, we were with a person that was just like going to teach her friend how to repel. And she was just basically going to do one repel and then hike. And we were like, no, you should come with us. We'll totally like, we're good and so she yeah. t- tells her boyfriend like she's a guide the other guys in search and rescue the other person's like blah blah blah. like these guys are golden mm-hmm. we got our rope stuck once um something else happened but we had all of the gear to get everything undone right so when the rope got stuck we were able to send and get it unstuck I think yeah. somebody forgot to unclip the thing, and so they had to ascend again, you know? And so then she was just like, Well, this is what you do, and so why you go with people that are experienced <laughs> so that you can learn how to do, like, fix all these mistakes or whatever. It was kind of fun.
2: Yeah, it's great. A like, bit way to
1: make- show, but it was great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> way to make it look not easy. I mean, that that's a great right. introduction. Then she yeah. probably walked away from that. I was like, I got to skill up.
1: Yeah, she's probably like, I'm going to go get some classes and make sure my girlfriend gets some classes. her (laughs) friends, don't know shit. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Mikael. That was a fun day.
2: We, uh, I I had an epic with my my friend, Caden, Caden and Gus. We had an epic. (laughs) We went to open a canyon um, in New Zealand. They've been on our list for a long time that has a 280-meter has a waterfall in it, so that's, what, 800-something feet? Um, massive, massive waterfall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we set off to to do this thing, and it was incredibly intimidating. There was this, there was this kind of hanging pothole about uh, 150 meters down, and, and it just was, like, swirling. It was, looked really nasty, and we weren't sure we could get past it, so we... We rigged all this stuff in like multiple pitches, and we rigged it caving style because we we thought we might have to go back up. Um, so I think it took us like four pitches to get down to it, and and we just wanted to get down so we could see if we could swim across it. And and I got down to it, and I was like, okay, I think I think this will go. Um, so so I sent it all the way back up, and then the three of us had like a powwow of like, all right, here's the plan. Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna, two of us are going to go to the bottom and then um, one of us is going to try to make the swim uh, across this pothole to get you know to set up the next anchor and if that person can make it then we're going to call to the top person to start uh, cleaning all the ropes and bringing everything down uh, so this is this is the game plan <laughs> and uh, so got all our stuff ready and and i went to the bottom and i this time i revelled a little bit further and i was able to get like right on the on the swirling pothole and I had a look at it. I was like, I can't swim that. Like that's impossible. I'm, I, I won't be able to get across that. It's, the water is just way too strong, and the, and the shape of this doesn't work out for anything that I, that I can do. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna. Have, I'm gonna have to call it. So the second person coming down, which is Caden, got, uh, got with an earshot, and I was like, no go. We're not gonna do this. You know. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so he's like, all right. I'm gonna go back up. Well. While he was going back up, um, the guy at the top, which is Gus, um, Gus looked down at Caden and was like, hey, like, is everything okay? And gave the signal, like, you know, is everything okay? And is it good to go, is what he was asking. Is it okay and good to go? And, And Caden, you know, we give the signals back, so he looked up at Gus and he was like, yeah, everything's okay, we're coming back up. But it was the same signal, so... Oh, Gus good. interpreted that as, "Oh, it's all good to go." Um, so I should Coming start down. pulling down this equipment. Yeah, pulling the ropes. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so I came. Finally, I got my chance to start sending back up. And I sending back up. And I look up, and I and I see Gus, and he's on the second pitch, and he's got all these bags <laughs> and like all these ropes hanging off of him. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, he pulled the first pitch!" <laughs> like <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> we're so screwed. And we we all three had this moment of like that's it we're 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 stuck you know we're like 150 meters up on a on a 280 meter waterfall and we can't get down uh, so we thought we were going to be stranded on this wall uh, yeah <laughs> it, was, it was definitely an epic we did manage to uh, we we quickly regrouped and decided that we we're going to figure out how to get back up that first pitch and essentially we had enough equipment to. Rig our way back up that pitch, so we had to like lead climb out of that that first pitch that he pulled the rope on to get back to the top, and wow. got everybody out. Yeah, there was a moment there where we were going to be stuck way out in the New Zealand backcountry with nothing. Oh, well, we all created, we all call it the uh, greatest non-descent descent that we've ever done. Uh, <laughs> it was a hard yeah. day for sure.
1: That sounds nuts. Luckily, you were had like a strong climber or whatever was able to climb back up that that sounds intense
2: (laughs) it wasn't our finest moment that's for sure it definitely wasn't
1: (laughs) so glad everything came out okay (laughs) yeah Yeah. wow where would you go in the world and why if you could go anywhere
2: if I could go anywhere in the world well I don't want to tell people where I'm looking at going to open canyons
1: (laughs) (laughs) You I can't all
2: can't give all, my, can't give all, give all
1: my, secrets okay. if I was
2: gonna go to an established area in the world <laughs> the the first place I would go would be reunion island um hundred uh, percent ah. reunion island is 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 the mecca of giant aquatic canyons and it just it looks epic and that's that's the first place that I would go,
1: huh. I'll have to look into that more yeah awesome. oh man
2: it's, it's amazing there's a there's a multi pitch in there that you end up it's like hanging out away from the wall and, and you have to you have to get a grappling hook and throw it to the vegetation on the wall to, <laughs> to pull yourself into the anchor yeah Holy shit. yeah right That's like holy shit. <laughs> holy shit is the right answer and then and then you start thinking about that and you're like like, who was the first person to do that? Like, who went down and was like, Phew, I'm just out here in the middle of, you know, the air you're hanging way up. <laughs> hanging and way it's up a great
1: idea top. for everyone else to do it, too. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I should probably just throw this thing over to the wall and pull myself in. I'm sure they didn't have a grappling hook because who has a grappling hook in their pack? So, like, what did Good. they throw over to the wall to wrap around the vegetation to pull themselves in? Wow. I know, right? Uh, And then if I were to try to go someplace (laughs) else, I would look at northern Italy, because there is a lot of really hard canyons in northern Italy, and a lot hard established canyons, and I would love to just go tick through some of those, those really hard established ones.
1: Danielle Monroy, I just talked to her, she said there's some amazing canyons in Italy. Italy. They
2: have incredible canyons. It like yeah. Italy has got. A, I mean, we always hear about these French canyons and Swiss canyons or whatever, but really, like Italy's got some of the best and the hardest.
1: Yeah, I have to go there too. So many places to go. I,
2: <laughs> I mean, if, if it's any testament to how good the Italians are, um, you know, they really the the which is one of the other hardest canyons in the world. Um, they went. They went and actually did the the full thing so like two other teams have been in before and and both of those teams had um sort of bailed out um through the kind of crux section and the italian team went back and got down it so uh, lasted it yeah mad respect to the italian team um (laughs) to make that happen
1: that's awesome they have like all the good things they do.
2: <laughs> and you can go ahead and teach them right. here afterwards, you know? All,
1: right. All the great things. <laughs> All right. Well, before we say goodbye, is there any safety advice you would like to give our listeners?
2: Ooh, any safety advice? I wasn't ready for this question. Um, what I would say to everybody is is get out there and, and get some training and find a mentor, somebody that can help you out and, and really show you through everything and learn from as many people as you possibly can because it can only grow your skills and Mm skill set. You know, get out there, read books, go to V7 Academy, learn from friends, do whatever you can do. Um, Just keep skilling up because there's, you can only get better.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, if there's nothing else you'd like to add, I think the Canyons are calling. We should probably go.
2: All right. Thanks so much for having me, Charles.
0: Okay. That concludes my interview with Andrew. I hope you all enjoyed it and are ready to go online and check out V7 Academy and get some more training. Like I said, I have a link in the show notes that will get you access to the V7 Academy. And if you do sign for the course through that, I will get just a little bit of a kickback as a thank you from them and you for my time doing this work. (laughs) Also, if this podcast has brought in you joy or information or you just appreciate the time that I put into this, please join me on Patreon. I have several different levels there. You can pay monthly or one-time donation, whatever you feel like my time has been worth to you. Seriously, this is all me. I do all the editing, I do all the website work so far, I do all of the research, and it does take a little bit of my personal time. Well. It does take a lot of my personal time. So if you appreciate it, any level of donation would be appreciated. Also, if you would just like a souvenir of the show, the stickers and pub glasses would also uh, help me out. So anyway, you can visit the website at thecanyonsarecalling.com. Join us on Facebook, on Instagram, or email me at thecanyonsarecalling@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Anyway, let's all get more training so we can be safe this summer and listen to those canyons. They're calling. I gotta go.